The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Big, beefy baseball boy. Let's talk about him. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, May 5th. Frank Stanfield joined by Chris Towers. Happy Cinco de Mayo, Chris. Will you be celebrating on this fine day? I, I might go get a taco. Mm. But I don't, you know, it's it's not my heritage, so I, I, I'm never quite sure how I feel about celebrating Cinco de Mayo. You know, yeah. I mean, there's look. a part of me that feels like it's a, it's a little insulting that everyone's like, let's go get tacos and, and drink tequila. And it's like, you know, there's other things about Mexican culture, you know, like that's true. You know, that's, that's not all it is. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably go have a taco and some margaritas. Yeah. Why not? Any excuse to... uh Right, I just love tacos and margaritas. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Today on the show, by the way, we've got rankings, movers, trade options, and of course, we will recap all of Wednesday's action. But first, take it away, Susan. Oh my goodness gracious! I've got no winning streak to talk about, and in fact, before I actually start talking about Rowdy Telez, I just gotta get this off my chest, Chris, because some people... They tweet at me, they get angry that, why are you mentioning the streak? It's so annoying. Just trying to have a little fun, man. Like, if the Marlins were on a 12-game winning streak, I would hope that you would talk about it too, Chris. Uh, yeah, I might mention it. They they just got swept by the Diamondbacks, though. <laughs> so, you know, not, not really a lot promising there to talk about. They, things felt really promising for the Marlins three games ago. And, and the... Panthers lost in ignominious fashion in their first playoff game. It's not not a great week for the few sports things that I've decided to be invested in this year. Panthers, I like what sport is that even? I I, I don't know. I don't hockey. I Come don't, on. I they the won one the sport trophy. The one sport I've never been able to get into is hockey. I don't know why. It just it does not work for me. That's anyway, right. Rowdy Telez, let's talk about him. He was amazing on Wednesday. He goes four for six with a double dong. Eight RBIs. He now has four home runs over his last four games. Overall, he's batting 257. He's got seven homers, a 924 OPS. And Chris, this StatCast page for Rowdy Telez, it is a thing of beauty early on. 97th percentile or better in max exit velocity, expected WOBA, barrel rate, expected slugging percentage. And you might ask yourself, why? What is Rowdy Telez doing differently this year? He's kind of selling out for power. His 52% fly ball rate this season is a career high by far. And 
for his career, it's right around 38%. So it's up about 14 percentage points. The plate discipline looks fine. Uh, he's still sitting here or there against some lefties. We were talking beforehand, Chris. Roddy Telez is actually pretty damn good against lefties. This year, he's hitting 286 against them for his career. He's got a better batting average against lefties than he does against righties. He's only 28% rostered, and he's got six road games next week at the Reds and at the Marlins. So he gets to face this vaunted Reds pitching staff once again. Uh, Chris, how imperative is it to add Roddy Telez right now? You know, ironically, we were talking about this yesterday. He's one of the one of the guys who's not pulling the ball more this season. He has a career low 27% pull rate. Um, I think Roddy Telez is just red hot right now. He's crushing the ball, and he's always had the underlying raw power production numbers to, you know, be an interesting fantasy option. The problem is just that I'm not sure if he's going to play every day. You know, you look at, you know, I just happened to be looking at Christian Yelich's page at the same time, and Riley Telez has about 20 fewer plate appearances. Yelich is at 100, Telez is at 82. So, you know, that kind of tells the story of how much he's sitting relative to, you know, one of the Brewers' real everyday players. And whether... Telez can hit lefties. The Brewers haven't treated him like he can for his career, at least. And so, you know, that's the concern. If you're if you're not going to play every day, then you know there there's only so much you can you can do to have value. And it feels like we did this last April with Tyler Naquin having a really good start, but he was mostly crossing righties. I'm not saying that's necessarily the same thing with Rowdy Telez. It's just a question of whether he's an everyday player moving forward, but the way he's swinging the bat right now, he's kind of forcing the the Brewers' hands, so it'll be interesting to see what they do, but there's an interesting skill set here. I mean, he doesn't strike out very much. He's been at 22% or below the last three seasons. Uh, he hits the ball really hard. His expected Wobon contact has been 400 or better every season. League average is 369, so that's very good. Now, expected Woba is not as useful right now as it has been in the past because the offensive environment is so strange and the ball's not traveling as far. But Raddy Telez, the way he's hitting the ball right now, none of that matters. He's hitting the ball with, with the kind of authority that dejuiced ball, humidifiers, none of that's going to hold him back. It's just a question of whether he can hit the ball this well moving forward. But yeah, 28% is probably too low. If he's in, if you're if you're in any uh, leagues with daily lineup moves, especially he's a must roster player. And, you know, the, I guess you have to see what the schedule looks like moving forward. But I would say most 12 team leagues, Roddy Teles probably needs to be added partially because he's a hitter who's hitting well right now. And there's <laughs> like 18 of those. So not many, you kind of can't pass them up when they're there. All right, the question is, who are we dropping for him, Chris? So I'll throw a few names your way. Would you drop Yuli Gurriel for Rowdy Telez? Yeah, I think that's fine. How about you know, I still have faith that Yuli Gurriel will turn it around, but he's not hitting right now. How about Frank Schwindel? Yep. Owen Miller? Sure. Nate Lowe? Yep. Now, this is a fun one. Would you rather have Eric Hosmer or Rowdy Telez? Um, I probably have more faith that Roddy Telez will be useful moving forward than Eric Hosmer. Ooh. But I I would probably try to trade Eric Hosmer yeah. before I dropped him. Yeah, do not <laughs> do not drop Eric Hosmer, but I think that is a uh that's a that's a fun question right there. Eric Hosmer versus Roddy Telez. The other Brewers that went off in this game, I think they scored 
18. 18 runs, so that is uh, quite a bit. Roddy Telez was not the only one doing damage. Andrew McCutcheon went four for five with four RBI. Christian Yelich went two for four with two RBI. And Luis Arias, our guy, he's back, Chris. He looks pretty good. Two for three with two RBI. You know, then again, everybody can look good against the Cincinnati Reds, or nearly everybody. Uh, man, Arias, now that he's healthy, he's like somebody I wish I had more of, Chris. I kind of backed off once he got hurt, and I kind of yeah. just want to go out and trade for him now because I, I think he's going to be pretty good. Oh, my goodness gracious yeah, for... So. Oh, my goodness gracious for you, Chris, from Wednesday. Garrett Whitlock, I think he's got to be in the rotation for the Red Sox moving forward the way he's pitched. He had another good start today. Um Against the Angels, five innings, two earned runs on two hits, nine strikeouts, no walks, a bunch of swinging strikes, 17 of them, seventh most or second most of any pitcher in baseball today. Um, He looks awesome. I mean, he's getting whiffs with his sinker, which is not something we typically see. He's mostly sustaining his velocity as a starter, average 95.1 miles per hour with that pitch today. Changeup and slider have both been good swing and miss pitches for him over the past couple of seasons. Changeup hasn't quite been there yet so far this season, but yeah, there's um there's a lot to like with Garrett Whitlock, and he's managed to mostly sustain it since moving into the rotation, which is always a good sign because you you know we we've, we've seen like Michael Kopech have some some bumps in the road in trying to pitch out of the rotation after pitching out of relief last season. And, you know, Whitlock's got 18 strikeouts in 12 innings as a starter so far. So that's a really good sign. would like to see him pitching deeper into games. Um, and today he only threw 78 pitches. So hopefully, you know, if he does stay in the rotation, that'll continue to improve. But yeah, it's been very promising. Yeah, he has been awesome. I think he has to remain in the rotation, though, as we'll get to, the Red Sox bullpen is just an absolute mess right now. Yeah. So they could use him there too, but uh, I think as a starter is where he's going to stick for now. He's got a 1.25 ERA. All the underlying numbers back up what Garrett Whitlock he's, has done. He had a 1.96 ERA last year over 73 and a third innings pitched. Uh, those were most, yeah, they were all in relief, actually. 46 appearances for him. Mm-hmm. Some of those were extended outings for Garrett Whitlock. He is 65% rostered. He's at the Braves next week, who, a lineup that hasn't really gotten going yet. They're 17th in Woba versus right-handed pitching. Uh, I think if you need a streamer, I'd be okay with Garrett Whitlock in that spot. Mm-hmm. Chris, would you rather have Whitlock or Austin Gomber? You alluded to Whitlock having the second most swinging strikes on Wednesday. Austin Gomber had the most. He had 19 swinging strikes. Post a third straight quality start, this one against the Nationals. Six and two thirds, two runs, six strikeouts to one walk. Would you rather have Whitlock or Austin Gomber? I would rather have Whitlock. I, I, it's not out of the question that Austin Gomber could be useful, but the it's just so hard when you're pitching half your games at Coors Field. Like I, I think he's a, a relatively talented pitcher, but as long as he's calling Coors Field home, it's just going to be hard for him to have sustained success. And until, I mean, really, like, it's not an Austin Gomber thing. It's just Coors Field. Like, how, how many pitchers have been su- sustainably good there? Ramon Marquez for about a year and a half, maybe? Ubaldo Jimenez for a couple? Like, you have to go pretty far back. You'll get the the occasional, like, good Kyle Freeland season, but it's just, it's really, really hard to do that consistently. So give me Garrett Whitlock in a, in a better situation. 
All right. I was going to, I'm looking up. I know last year Austin Gomber had a, a sustained stretch where he, he was pretty, pretty awesome. So it was eight starts last year from May to June for Garrett Whitlock, where he had, uh, for Austin, Austin Gomber, rather. He had a 1.62 ERA. His FIP and his XFIP were both below three, 42 strikeouts to three walks during that span. And uh, four of those starts came at home last year. So I'm not saying he's going to necessarily do that again, but you know we've already seen some signs that Austin Gomber is a pretty good pitcher. I agree with you. I would take Garrett Whitlock, but uh, Gomber is someone that I would be looking to add right now. Chris, would you drop these names for either one? Uh, Zach Plesak, Dylan Bundy, Matt Brash, and then Kyle Hendricks, another subpar outing here. What do you think? Those four. Dylan Bundy for sure. And probably the rest of them. If I, if I could, I would hang on to Matt Brash. But honestly, unless you're in a league that gets fantasy points for pitching Ninja GIFs, I'm not sure how useful he's going to be because he just, he still seems like he's developing. Like the, the stuff is really impressive, but there's a different difference between getting swings and misses and pitching. And I think he's still trying to figure out that part of it. And, there, there could be a point where the, the light switch just flicks on for Matt Brash and he looks awesome for a, an extended stretch. Um, but like I would drop him for Whitlock. Um, and the rest of them I would drop for Gomber, yeah. Yep. All right, Kyle Hendricks is the one that, you know, maybe we're on the fence most because, yeah. you know, we've seen him have a lot of success in the past as well. It's just not happening for Kyle Hendricks mm-hmm. right now. And looking... Under the hood a little bit for him, Chris. He's going through a same, a lot of the same things that Charlie Morton is going through right now, where he's not getting first pitch strikes, he's not commanding his fastball, uh, he's not getting opposing batters to chase pitches outside the zone. Uh, Kyle Hendricks now has a 5.64 ERA. His xFIP is 4.61. The problem with dropping him is he's got a two-star week next week. It's at the Diamondbacks, at the Padres for Kyle Hendricks. So would you still want to yeah. drop him knowing he has the two starts? He would probably be among the Plezak, Bundy, Hendricks trio. He he would be the one that I would be least likely to drop, um, even without the two-star week. But the two-star week especially makes it tough. Um, But yeah, I think it's fair to wonder if just like, like most things look fine. Like he's never been a hard thrower and he's still not a hard thrower. But I do wonder if like he throws so soft that the margin for error is just incredibly slim. And he has to be he has to have pinpoint control when his stuff is at its best and when it's at something less than its best. It just may be too much to ask. So I think it is, um, it's fair to have those questions about Kyle Hendricks. And given the fact that he was bad last season, you know, he hasn't, he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt in the way that he has in the past. Yeah, Kyle Hendricks has 12 walks over his first six starts this season. He's averaging 3.6 walks per nine. That is just. Not going to get it done for somebody. Ten yeah, percent walk rate is yeah. just not viable for him. Yeah, for someone as you mentioned, Chris. I mean, the margin for error for him is just so so slim. Uh, as for the two starts, maybe I'll use him in a points league in any type of categories league. There's just no chance. I there, mean, there's no chance I could use Hendricks. That's the thing is that those like you can look at a categories league or a, or a roto league and and see a two star guy. And I made this mistake in one league. I, I had Armand Marquez and I started him because he had two starts and I benched I can't remember who I benched him for specifically right now but presumably their their start didn't go as poorly as uh Armand Marquez's first one did so you know that that kind of thinking can get you in the wrong 
can get in the wrong place in a category-based league. All right, a few names in deeper leagues, Chris. Are you looking to add any of these? Yusei Kikuchi had his first quality start of the season up against the Yankees. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts to one walk. It was his first start with fewer than two walks this season. And I noticed that he has ditched the slider his last two starts. He hasn't thrown it a single time. And that pitch was absolutely getting bombed on the season. So maybe something that can help you say Kikuchi. The other two names, Jose Quintana, another solid start. Five innings, two runs, three strikeouts. Uh, Martin Perez went toe-to-toe with Zach Wheeler in a pitcher's duel. Seven shutout innings, four hits, four walks, four strikeouts. Chris, anything on Kikuchi, Quintana, Martin Perez? Yeah, I mean, Kikuchi was really good today, and he got 15 swinging strikes on 78 pitches, seven of them coming on that cutter uh, that he used more without the slider. And so, you know, I've always been intrigued by the skill set, and I've always wondered if he was ever going to be able to find a mix that works for him. I... I think I would rather ha- I would rather have him than Dylan Bundy for sure, and and even like Zach Plesac at this point. I I kind of think anybody who shows some some upside might be worth adding over Zach Plesac just because I think he's so underwhelming. Um, but I'm not. I wouldn't expect Yusei Kikuchi to be a top sixty pitcher moving forward. Fair enough. Uh, Quintana, I'll just point out, he's made five starts. His ERA is 3.38. His XFIP is 3.72. He's throwing his changeup 31% so far this season. That's a pitch that he's never thrown more than 14% in any season. And it's a pretty good pitch for him. He's got a 40% whiff rate on the changeup. Again, that's Jose Quintana. More so for deeper leagues. You're playing 15-teamers anything deeper than that. And only Jose Quintana is a name to watch there. Let's talk about some rankings movers. Chris updated his uh, trade chart on Wednesday. That'll be coming out on the site on Thursday and some risers for Chris, Austin Riley, Jazz Chisholm, Dylan Cease, Alec Manoa, and Carlos Carrasco. Uh, Chris, I noticed Alec Manoa in particular is one that I moved up quite a bit as well. Now inside of my top 20 starting pitchers. Might be too. I wasn't aggressive. as aggressive yeah. with him. He he moved up to twenty seven for me in Roto, um, but a top seventy five player overall. He and you know you look at the guys ahead of him could very easily move Charlie Morton ahead of him. Um, you mean move him ahead? Move of him ahead of Charlie yeah. Morton. Uh, that that that's one that I you know right now I would certainly rather start Alec Manoa. Um, but yeah, I think that like seventeen to twenty eight range where. Dylan Cease, Alec Manoa, and Carlos Carrasco all are, is really interesting right now because for the most part, you've got guys in that range that are pitching well. Pablo Lopez, Clayton Kershaw, Frankie Montas, uh, and then a couple of guys who aren't pitching so well, but I still have some some faith in. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I've seen from Alec Manoa. Yeah, and I've moved Dylan Cease up as well. And I guess this is just a tier because I could see Dylan Cease being right behind Alec Manoa right now. I mean, technically, uh, Cease has pitched better than Freddie Peralta, who I have ahead of him. Mm-hmm. He's pitched better than Jose Barrio. So a couple of more starts where Dylan Cease looks this good and maybe, you know, Jose Barrios or some of these other names underwhelmed, then yeah, I could see uh, moving Dylan Cease closer to that top 20 starting pitcher rank as well. Yeah, Barrios has been the guy who I haven't moved down, like consciously, I haven't like, you know, we've got a list and you drag and drop. And I don't think there's been a point where I've clicked Jose Barrios' name and actually dragged him down. But he's dropped like 10 spots since the start of the season, mostly because I feel like there's just like, 
limited upside with Jose Barrios. And so it was easy once Pablo Lopez came out looking so good to move him up or Clayton Kershaw, Carlos Rodon, um, Shane McClanahan, Dylan Cease. So there have been quite a few movers there. And it's not really because of Barrios pitching poorly as much as it is just being really interested in what these other guys are doing. Cease is one who I just, I continue to kind of hold at arm's length. And maybe this is my own issue. Um, because I just, I don't necessarily trust him, but I can absolutely see the potential. And right now, obviously he's pitching out of his mind and it wouldn't surprise me at all if this kept up because the stuff's always been really good. He took a big step last season. He's taking another big step this season and, and the swing strike rate on all four of his pitches. I mean, he doesn't use his changeup very often at all, but you know, if you include that one, that's also got a swing, a, a pretty strong swing and miss rate. So through, you know, what, six starts, this is about as good as you could have hoped for, for Dylan Cease. And so, you know, it, there's nothing in his profile that I can point to specifically and say, oh, I don't think this is going to work for Dylan Cease. It's mostly just a, I don't necessarily trust him. And uh, every good start makes me trust him a little more. It really just comes down to control for Dylan Cease. If he can keep those walks yeah. under control, and I know earlier in the season, not necessarily this most recent start, his ground ball rate was way up. So obviously last year and even before that, if you walk a lot of batters and you give up fly balls pitching in yeah. that park in Chicago, that's just, it's not a recipe for success. But, you know, if those things are going the other way now, and overall he's just progressing as a pitcher, that would make sense, obviously, uh, then yeah. He's, uh, he's climbing up the ranks, and rightfully so. Chris, Austin Riley is someone you and I haven't been able to talk about together. Uh, Scott and I talked about him the other day, and <laughs> obviously you and me were a little bit more skeptical on him coming into the season, and mm -hmm. you look at his StatCast page, the plate discipline, he looks it's like a player that is just getting better and better and better. Yeah, it's it's making me feel pretty dumb for being skeptical. I mean, I was there was only so much I could be skeptical about. I mean, he was like a top 50 player for me still, but I wasn't buying him. I didn't have any, I don't have any Austin Riley shares this season. And me neither. yeah, I'm regretting that because his, he's taken another step forward with his strikeout rate in a way that, you know, hopefully is sustainable. Obviously it's very early on and the difference between last year and, and this year's strikeout rate is like three or four strikeouts over the course of the season so far. So it's, Still a very small sample size, but yeah, I mean, he is making more contact across the board. He's chasing a little less. He's hitting the ball really, really hard, just like he did last season, but even harder this season. So it's one of those things where every indicator across the board is pretty much moving in the right direction. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot less for me to be skeptical of with Austin Riley than, than I thought there would be. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little, uh, feeling like I have to eat some crow there so far. Chris, you're not the only one because the risers that I'm about to mention in my rankings are all players that not all of them, but some of them that I, I was just, I went out on a limb to be lower on and it has not worked out. So Dalton Varsho mm -hmm. is someone that I've moved, uh, inside my top four catcher ranks. You can argue he 
should probably be a top three catcher right now. Eric Hosmer, mm-hmm. I moved up. Tommy Edmond has looked awesome so far this year. I was lower on him. Logan Gilbert, someone I actually did like quite a bit. Eric Lauer has come out of nowhere. I moved him inside my top 45 yeah. starting pitchers. He's looked fantastic. Dalton Varsho is really the one I wanted to focus on. He went two for four on Wednesday with his fifth home run. He's betting only 244, but he also has those two steals. Uh, the strikeout rate is a little high, 27%, but that's manageable. Fly ball rate is up. Pull rate is up, so he's kind of selling out for power. It's kind of working right now. Five home runs for a catcher-eligible player is pretty good. He entered Wednesday, Chris, as the number one catcher in head-to-head points leagues. Dalton Varsho did, and the third best catcher in Roto, and he is leading the position with 25 games played. So, I just, And that's, that's what we talked about coming into the season. That yeah. It's just, even if he wasn't that great, and he's been good, you know, especially relative to as we talked about yesterday, catcher's been a disaster, even within awesome. the realm, uh, even even within the context of how bad offense has been overall. Uh, but he's got an 802 OPS. And if he's going to be a an above average major league hitter while playing every day, he's probably going to be the number one catcher just because the the volume that he provides. Like it's either him or Salvador Perez. And right now, Salvador Perez hasn't been all that great. I don't have a lack of faith in Salvador Perez. But yeah, this is. Um, very encouraging stuff from from Dalton Varsho, and, and the underlying numbers largely back it up. He's striking out a little bit too much, but he's hitting the ball relatively hard uh, enough that you can view Dalton Varsho as you know a, a viable uh, starting option. Yeah, he's got an 802 OPS. So as you mentioned, Chris, I mean, if he just floats somewhere around there, playing as much as he is, he's he's good. By virtue, he's just going to rank very highly at the catcher position. Well, one thing I do want to go back to, we, we briefly touched on Alec Manoa. The one thing I do want to keep an eye on with him is last season, he actually faced more lefties than righties, which is rare. There are more right-handed hitters than left-handed hitters in baseball, so most pitchers face more right-handed hitters than left-handed hitters. But... Manoa, you know, he's got that really strong fastball. He's got that really strong sink, uh, slider. And then the changeup remains a work in progress. And right now, his splits are he's dominating right handed hitters. He's given up six hits on 69 plate appearances against right handed hitters. That's ridiculous. 22 strikeouts, two walks. Lefties are 12 for 43 with 10 strikeouts and six walks. And he had a split last season where lefties hit him better. And he has faced a much lower proportion of left-handed batters so far. So what I want to see moving forward is whether that's just normalizing, whether he just faced an inordinate number of left-handed batters last season, or whether teams are going to start strategically stacking their lineup with more lefties and he's just kind of benefited from a quirk in the schedule. Um, Because that remains the question for me, not so much with regards to whether Alec Manoa can be very good, because I mean, we're enough into his career 142 and two-thirds innings with a 284 ERA and a bunch of strikeouts that like I'm pretty confident he's good the question is can he be a top 15 starting pitcher and I think the the splits are going to be the key so that'll be something to watch moving forward for sure all right, the followers in Chris's rankings three names here Mookie Betts Marcus Semien and Trevor Rogers Chris maybe you should send us some followers more often uh, with uh, first-round picks on them because Mookie Betts, of course, is having a great game on Wednesday night, two for three with his fourth home run of the season. Um, 
we talked a lot about Semyon and Rogers recently. What about Mookie Betts? Why'd you move him down the rankings? I, I just ranked him very aggressively coming into the season. I, I mostly ranked him as if he was going to bounce back all the way to being, you know, one of the handful of best players. I think I had him top six in Roto or top seven in Roto and top eight in points. So, it, you know, I moved him down to like 15-ish. I think I moved him below the top three starting pitchers. So Garrett Cole, Cor- Corbin Burns, and blanking on the last name. Max Scherzer? Which, Max Scherzer, yes, thank you. Um, so I moved him down a little bit. So it's, it's in the trade values chart. It was like a three point slash dollar drop, which is significant mostly because of where he was at. I moved him to 16. So below those three and Manny Machado, who's just off to a ridiculously great start and has been everything I hoped he would be. So you know, it, it's it's a relative fall for Mookie Betts, but I still think there have been enough promising signs and I'm not like panicking about him. You know, he's running, which I think is a good good sign. Three stolen bases, and I think he has four attempts, right? Nope, just three attempts. Um, but that's a good sign given the hip injury and the concerns about what that would do. And the bat has been heating up lately. So those are all good signs, but it's mostly just an acknowledgement that like, yeah, this guy's probably not going to be one of the you know, handful of best players in fantasy. He's also among the league leaders in run scored, as you would expect. And, you know, he hasn't yeah. really hit his potential yet. So if that happens, I mean, we could just see a monster helps. season in the run. It helps scored. that he's got a 347 OBP despite hitting 238. Yep. Coming for into sure. today's game. Uh, some followers for me in the rankings, Joey Votto, obvious. I mean, He's got the COVID situation going on right now, and he's been dreadful. I believe he has just one mm-hmm. extra base hit on the season. I moved him down to 14th in the first base ranking, so behind uh, Ty yeah, France, I've moved him down, yeah. behind Ty France, Rizzo, Connor Joe, Jake Cronenworth. So if he, I am willing to be wrong. I would be happy to be wrong if Joey Votto can turn it back yeah. around once again. Akil Badu, another name I was very excited on coming into the season. He has been awful. I think. He finally stole his first base of the season here on May 4th, uh, but not really doing much outside of that. Charlie Morton, I, I moved down to, I believe, 27 in the starting pitcher rank, so we've got to see him bounce back, and we've talked about him quite a bit. Uh, Trevor Rogers is now outside of my top 35 starting pitchers. Again, we've got to yep. see that changeup get back on track for Trevor Rogers. Before we hit the break, Fantasy Baseball Today is here to help you dominate your league all season long, but now you can represent your favorite podcast with official Fantasy Baseball Today gear only found on the CBS Sports Store. Discover t-shirts, mugs, sweatpants, laser engraved pint glasses, hats, water bottles, and more to remind your buddies how you got the inside scoop to crush the competition. Right now, Fantasy Baseball Today listeners will get 20% off when they use this podcast exclusive code, Fantasy Baseball 20 during checkout. That's Fantasy Baseball 20, and it's only available for our listeners. Head over to store.cbsports.com slash collections slash fantasy baseball today. That is a very long link. It is in the podcast and the YouTube description. Go there and shop now. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll get the news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The news and notes. Teoscar Hernandez is expected to be activated on Thursday. He went two for four with a double and a home run in a rehab game on Tuesday. A bunch of Reds news. David Bell said Luis Castillo is penciled in to return Monday against the Milwaukee Brewers. Chris, would you start Luis Castillo his uh, first time around? It'll be a two-star week against the Brewers and the Pirates. I would prefer not to. And yeah, you don't have to. So I would I would avoid it if I can. All right, yeah. Jonathan, India's hamstring injury will keep him out, quote, a couple of weeks, but they assured us it won't be four to six weeks, but it'll be a couple of weeks. The Reds have a bit of a COVID situation going on. Nixon Zell and Tyler Naquid landed on the COVID IL one day after Joey Votto was placed on it. Uh, speaking of Votto, he's unlikely to return this week. So he's going to be out. A little bit here with uh, that COVID situation. Jose Altuve. Oh, by the way, uh, Luis Castillo pitched very well today. Uh, I believe he had seven strikeouts in like four and a third. And he's got like 18 strikeouts in 12 innings or something in his minor league rehab stint. So that's a good sign. So hopefully he can you know, carry that out. Aren't the Reds... Like three and twenty or something crazy like that. Maybe three and twenty-one. Ooh, their run differential is like negative eight billion. Uh, I told Scott. Sorry, this- nine billion after today. <laughs> I told I told Scott the story recently, Chris. That as soon as they started trading away their players, I, I was looking to bet their season win total under, and I didn't do it, and I should have done it because <laughs> it looks like easy money right now. Yeah, entering today before they lost by a billion runs. They had been outscored by 62 so far this season. No, 68 runs. Uh, so not great. 82 runs in 22 games, 21 games so far for them. That's uh that's bad. Not great. Jose Altuve was removed from Wednesday's game due to right groin soreness and if you saw where he fouled the ball off, then you'd understand why he left the game. Yeah, not not a. I don't think it's a muscular injury. I don't think he. I don't think it's a groin strain. 
I don't think so either. <laughs> I hope he was wearing a cup. Ramon Liriano he's okay. is on track to return from his suspension when first eligible on May 8th last year. Loriano hit 246 with 14 homers and 12 steals over 88 games. Chris, do you think Ramon Loriano is a must-add right now? He's 89% rostered. Yeah, you've probably got some scrubby outfielder that you can drop or at least consider starting Ramon Loriano instead of. And I, I would expect something like a 15-15 pace from him moving forward. So, yeah, I, I think he's absolutely in all categories leagues at least. Maybe not a 12-team points league where you only start three, but anything deeper than that. Yoel Moncada is expected to return from the IL on Monday. Nelson Cruz was not in the lineup because of that back stiffness that forced him to leave Tuesday's game. Andrew Vaughn will most likely be placed on the IL ahead of Friday's season opener against the Red Sox. He has not played since last Friday when he got hit by a pitch on his right hand. Tigers outfield prospect Riley Green is no longer wearing a walking boot for his fractured right foot. He remains without a timetable, but manager AJ Hinch said it won't be in May. Cole Irvin underwent an MRI on his left shoulder on Wednesday. Mike Yastrzemski was activated from the COVID IL and was batting sixth in the lineup for the Giants. Joey Wendell has missed three straight games due to hamstring soreness. Rich Hill and Tanner Houck will work as tandem starters on Thursday, and I think that bodes well for Garrett Whitlock remaining in the rotation. Mm -hmm. This last one, Chris, I, I hope that you was, saw it. This was bizarre. This was the weirdest thing I've seen all season. Mad yeah. Madison Bumgarner was ejected after one inning of work on Wednesday. The umpire was checking his hand after the first inning for sticky substances, and he was doing it for quite some time, longer than I've seen any umpire check for check a pitcher's hand. And he was just staring at Madison Bumgarner's face, like yeah. staring into his eyes. It, I mean, yeah, of course, it was, if you've been anywhere on social media, you've seen it. It's one of the weirdest things I've seen. Yeah, I don't know what was... I mean, like, Madison Bumgarner, he got ejected for saying bleep you to the umpire, which that'll get you ejected. But, like, <laughs> that umpire, like, I don't know, man. Maybe there was something else going on there. But the way he was staring at Madison Bumgarner, like, it seemed like he was, like, testing him. Yeah. And, like... Madison Bumgarner is not really a that dude. That felt you like the kind test. of thing where, like, like that umpire should probably get some time off. Yeah. After that, that was it. Was just such a weirdly like passive aggressive move that like it felt like he was trying to get a reaction out of him. It was so weird. Uh, all right, let's quickly run through some trade options. There's a lot of other stuff that I want to get to, so let's talk about this quickly. Uh, hitters to trade for right now seems obvi obvious. Cattell Marte, he went two for two on Wednesday. He's slowly coming along. Along, He has a modest five-game hit streak, so I would say buy while you can. Jose Abreu, same thing, slowly coming along, two for four with his third home run on Wednesday. The expected numbers look much better for Jose Abreu than the actual numbers. And he's someone that typically gets off to slow starts and plays better as the weather heats up. So those are some obvious names. Chris, would you actually look to buy low on Tyler O'Neill? I know you and I were both kind of skeptical on him coming into the season. He hit his second home run on Wednesday. It was his first home run since opening day. Would you buy Tyler O'Neill right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's like he, he's someone that I moved down a little bit, but it wasn't like a, a huge drop. And part of that is just... <laughs> there aren't a lot of good outfielders. And so there's only so far you can drop someone like Tyler O'Neill. Um, 
But yeah, the underlying numbers are not nearly as impressive as they were last season. Um, you know, expected Woba 319. It was 392 last season. He's not hitting the ball nearly as hard as he did last season, at least not consistently. He's also not striking out as much. And so you wonder if maybe he's making a conscious decision to trade some contact for some pop. But Tyler O'Neill doesn't have such a long track record that you can just overlook a hot, a, a slow start the way that I think you can with Jose Abreu, certainly, and in my opinion, Cattell Marte, who has a three-year track record, or at least two of the past three years of being very good. Um, I'm very confident Cattell Marte and Jose Abreu will figure things out. There, there are two that I have not thought about moving down yet. I, I think I moved, I moved someone ahead of... CJ Crone? No. No, I didn't quite move CJ Crone ahead of him, but I thought about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like that, but that's not moving him down. Whereas I have moved, I did move Tyler O'Neill down a little bit in my most recent update. So I definitely have less concern about Marte and Abreu, but I think all three of them are fine by low candidates. Other stat cast underperformers thus far Whit Merrifield, he's another obvious one. Jesse Winker, his expected batting average, I believe, is still over 300. So. Someone there and uh, Cody Bellinger. I, I stumbled across his expected batting average is 265, his expected slug 501. I know we don't want to put too much stock into expected numbers, but he's, he's hitting the ball much harder uh, this year, much more consistently than we've seen at least last year um, and the past couple of years. Strikeout rate is still high for Bellinger, but he's kind of in this slump. And I think someone might be looking to just offload Cody Bellinger, and I'd be looking to take advantage of that if you can get him out have you looked at jesse winker's spray chart no it doesn't look like he has a single hit more than like 300 feet away from home plate so far it's really weird and and that's the kind of thing where i do wonder like with the move to um t-mobile park away from cincinnati he was one of those guys who i wondered like even in a regular in in the offensive environment that we thought we were going to have, or at least that we had last season, I thought that would cost him both batting average and home runs. And then with the ball traveling last far, you know, I wonder if that is an even more pronounced change so far. So um, I'm not necessarily a hundred percent certain that Jesse Winker is going to turn things around, at least in a, in such a way that he lives up to expectations or lives up to the production he had last season or his expected stats. His expected batting average is 326. I think, you know, a lot of that is tied to the fact that he's barely striking out, but he's also not hitting the ball well. So that is something that I would um that I would say about him that I'm not a hundred percent convinced that Jesse Winker is going to figure things out. Okay. A pitcher you might want to buy, Freddie Peralta. He had another meh start on Wednesday, five innings, three runs. Seven strikeouts against the Reds. He had 11 swinging strikes on 98 pitches. And his slider usage is down so far this season. And I'm surprised he didn't use it more in this start because it was actually a pretty good start for him in this one. 44% CSW, 44% whiff rate. Uh, But overall, the ERA for Freddie Peralta is 5.09. The XFIP is 3.08. Chris, do you actually like the idea of buying Freddie Peralta right now? Yeah, he's another one that I haven't moved down yet. I've moved a couple of guys out ahead of him, Justin Berlander and Carlos Rodon especially, but I'm not too worried. The The slider has been getting hit hard this season, and I'm not sure if, you know, maybe he had some some loud contact on it early in this game. He did give up one batted ball, 103 miles per hour. So, you know, that 
that did happen again, but he did also get some good results otherwise. But yeah, that ball's been that that pitch has been hit hard so far. He has a 436 Woba allowed with his slider through uh, his first six starts. So, you know, that's not that's not the be all and end all. That doesn't mean that he's lost the feel for the pitch, but it it can help explain why the usage hasn't been there. Um, but yeah, I believe in Freddie Peralta enough that I'm not I'm not too worried. And he's the kind of guy that because he has that really good suppressing of hard contact skill set, or at least he has throughout his career. I have faith that even if he's not quite the strikeout guy or swing and miss guy that he was last season, he's still going to be quite good. You know, he, he, he shares that with like Sandy Alcantara. Mm-hmm. I have a sell high pitcher, Chris. Tell me if I'm crazy. Mackenzie Gore in redraft. You're not leagues, crazy. Not in dynasty, but he put together another solid start, two earned runs or fewer in all four of his starts, but he only had four swinging strikes in this one uh, against the, uh, I didn't write down who he was going up against, but it was, oh, it was the Guardians. Mackenzie Gore was uh, mm-hmm. up against in this one. I, he's so hard to read because he's been throwing his fastball so much. I can't tell if he just doesn't have a feel for his secondary pitches or mm-hmm. he's just not using them because he hasn't had to because he's had such great success already just using his fastball. So it's kind of like the chicken or the egg situation with uh, with Mackenzie Gore. Either way, I think at some point he might be on an innings limit. Clevenger's coming back. Uh, Clevenger is back. Blake Snell is on his way back. I just kind of worry, Chris. I think that you can cash in on the name value of Mackenzie Gore right now in redraft leagues. Yeah, I want to see one thing in particular. He pitched in the second game. So, because... Uh, Mackenzie Gore only had one swing strike on his curveball coming into today's start, and he didn't have any today on 13 of them. That is surprising because it's a pretty aesthetically pleasing pitch. Uh, it sure looks the part, but yeah, he has not been getting whiffs with it. The slider hasn't been a great uh, swing and miss pitch either, and he's throwing a ton of fastballs. His fastball usage today was 77%. Um, 77 out of 100 pitches. It was 65% coming into the start. So, you know, you can get away throwing your fastball that often if you've got really good command and a really high spin rate and you can consistently throw it up in the zone to get swings and misses the way someone like Brandon McCarthy does. Or if you're like Lance Lynn and you can just change the shape and rotation and, and velocity of the pitch in enough different ways that nobody can just sit on it. But Gore... His command hasn't been quite good enough with it, and um, the secondary pitches haven't quite been there. So, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know if I'd necessarily want to sell high just because there is a bit of FOMO there. Like, you could, you could end up missing out on a really, really good pitcher breaking out if things click for him, if he gets the feel for the curveball or if the, the fastball shape you know, stabilizes and he can throw it up in the zone for strikes more often. But right now there, there was a really good piece on fan graphs last week from Ben Clemens about Mackenzie Gore's early performance. And um, yeah, I, I think he's a, a decent sell high candidate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it, man. Like there's a chance that this can blow up if he just remains in the rotation and starts to use those secondary pitches more and, and gets swings and misses with them. So I will acknowledge there's a, there's a way that this goes south, but uh, I, I personally in leagues where I have him, will be looking to sell high on him. Chris, I think this goes without saying, but if you can turn Mackenzie Gore into 
Cattell Marte, Jose Abreu. Oh, yeah. You would do that. Uh, how about even Cody Bellinger? Would you do that one too? Sure. All right. So I, I think one that you might want to try is Charlie Morton. Fair enough. I would do that. Uh, you know, I, I have my concerns about Charlie Morton, as we talked about yesterday, but I have more confidence in him than, than Mackenzie Gore. All right, let's take a look under the hood at these two pitchers on Wednesday. Zach Wheeler made his deepest start of the season, yeah. and he looked a lot like Zach Wheeler. Seven and two-thirds, mm-hmm. shutout innings, six hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. He had 16 swinging strikes on just 78 pitches. His efficiency was outstanding. The fastball velocity was up to 96.2 miles per hour, so inching closer towards last year's average. And then Mike Levenger, Chris, made his first start since 2020. Kind of a mixed bag here. Four and two-thirds, three runs, only four strikeouts. I believe some of those runs came in as they were inherited by relievers, so he wasn't the one who necessarily allowed them to score. Uh, But what did you see from those two, Zach Wheeler and Mike Clevenger? I mean, with with Clevenger, you don't, you don't really look at the results. It's his first start in almost two seasons. You know, he threw 93 pitches. Like, that's super promising. Average 95, uh, 93.5 miles per hour with his fastball. Not quite where he was the last time we saw him, but he's been effective in that range before. He threw all five of his pitches consistently. You know, had at least a 17% usage with the changeup, the four seam, the cutter, and the slider. So, doesn't seem to be any limitations there. Um, eight swinging strikes on 83, 93 pitches, whatever. That's not great, but like this is the first start, and so you would expect only growth from here. And that's not to say that Mike Clevenger is definitely going to come back and be a superstar. You you look at the uh, the spin rate on his pitches was way down on pretty much everything except the changeup, the four seam fastball spin rate down four hundred RPMs, which is that's a lot. So even with reduced velocity, so definitely not all perfect for Mike Clevenger, but you know, you can't ask for perfect in the first start back. You know, you give, you give a guy like that some, some benefit of the doubt and some time to get his legs under him. So I think it was a promising start overall. Zach Wheeler, again, I think this was a super promising start because the velocity was, not quite all the way back. He averaged 96.2 with the fastball, I believe, compared to 97.2 uh, last season. He was at 95.2 coming in. So right in the middle of where he was coming in and last season, but got a bunch of whiffs with it. Um, the fa- the velocity was up, and that's the most important thing because velocity is not everything. And I, I think we've we've been accused of focusing too much on fastball velocity early on in the season. The thing is, it's one of the few tangible things that we can look at and say, well, this could be a tangible change in skill for a player. And it's, it just means you're, you know, when you throw harder, you get more whiffs. Generally it's harder to hit. Like those are good things. It doesn't mean it's a panacea panacea. I don't know how you actually pronounce that word. It's one of those words I only ever write. Um, But yeah, I think, like Zach Wheeler throwing hard, that's the most promising thing to come from this start. And I saw some griping that he only threw 78 pitches and was only allowed to throw seven innings and whatever. Take the seven innings and feel confident that Zach Wheeler is going to be better moving forward. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this start. Yeah, and I hope you bought low while you could. We were telling people after his last start that you know he looked pretty good and velocity was creeping up a little bit. So 
Yeah, Zach Wheeler, uh, getting closer, getting closer to the guy mm-hmm. that we expected. And the, the nice thing is, even when the strikeouts haven't been there so far and the, the walks have been a problem for him and, and all that, you know, he hasn't looked like himself, he's been getting pretty good results on balls in play. And that's always been something that Zach Wheeler's been pretty good at, especially, you know, in the last couple of seasons. So the fact that that skill set's still there, like Sandy Alcantara, like Freddie Peralta, you know, it, it gives a high floor even when things aren't perfect. All right. Where should we add these hitters? If anywhere, we'll start, we'll start with Paven Smith, back-to-back games with a home run. He now has all three of his home runs over the past six games played. He's got an 18% barrel rate, which I found interesting, 95th percentile, according to StackS. He's 25% rostered. Chris, are you looking to add Paven Smith anywhere? Uh, no, I... Even like a 15-team league, I'd be surprised if I was looking to add him in my waiver runs this week. Yeah, I have him in a 15-team Roto League. It's He's kind of valuable there because he has outfield and first base eligibility, so you could plug him into corner or you know, yeah. five outfield spots. So I would say 15-team leagues, that's probably okay, that's where you fine. want to target him for now. Uh, John Birdie had a double dong his first two home runs of the season. I don't know. Is there anything here, Chris? Uh, not for, not for power. John, John Birdie's not the guy who, if he hits home runs, you, you take notice. It's, it's more about playing time so he can steal bases. And I think he's mostly just benefiting in that regard from, uh, Joey Wendell not being there. Chris, I woke up on Wednesday and I just, I had this urge to make DFS lineups for the early slate and I had John Birdie in all of them. So. Call it, Good. call it luck. <laughs> I hope but you won. I, well, I won a few bucks. Nothing too crazy. Uh, Josh, Josh Naylor went three for five with uh, three RBI. He's now betting 340. Uh, he's 30% rostered. Should you add him anywhere? I added him in a 14-team Roto League uh, where I needed some outfield help. So, you know, I think definitely leagues of that depth. So 15-teamers as well. And then even 12 teams. Like, there, there's not nothing there you know he's shown the ability to hit for contact he's shown the ability to uh drive the ball you know his max exavilo has been relatively high in the past so um yeah i i think josh Naylor's worth a look in you know he's fringy in 12 teams but anything deeper than that all right juan yapez prospect with the cardinals made his major league debut and he went two for three with two doubles they were both Eerily similar, just bloop doubles down the right field line. Yeah. 9% rostered. He has first base eligibility. He started in right field in this one. Chris, are you looking to add Juan Yepes anywhere? I would say similar to Josh Naylor. It's not clear if Yepes is going to play every day or how long he's going to have that opportunity. Obviously, you know, if he hits well, then he can make that opportunity for himself. But right now, probably only 15 teamers. Yeah, he's definitely an, a name that you just want to watch. Let's see where it yeah. goes. Let's see how much he plays because he was awesome in the minors last year and he was really good to start the season as well. Mm-hmm. Mike Moustakis went two for four with an RBI. He has three multi-hit games in six games since returning from injury. He is 20% roster. He's got seven games next week with four of those coming against the Pirates. Chris, are you looking to add Mike Moustakis anywhere? I uh, can't say that I'm super excited about it yet. Um, I'll need to see him. I mean, look, he was kind of one of the, like, I don't want to say originators, but, you know, one of the one of the examples of those guys that we've talked a lot about, you know, Nolan Arenado being a high-profile example of just the super pull-heavy 
fly ball hitters who always have a ceiling on their batting average and don't hit the ball hard. The problem is, you know, with the ball not traveling as far, Moustakas probably needs to hit the ball a little harder than he has been to hit for power. And I just don't know if there's going to be enough of that, but worth watching. All right, let's get to some leftovers from Wednesday's action. Some pitchers. Adam Wainwright got back on track, had his longest start of the season at the Royals. Seven shutout innings with two strikeouts. Tyler McGill posted a season-high nine strikeouts up against the Atlanta Braves. Justin Verlander makes it four quality starts in a row, six and two-thirds, two runs allowed, three strikeouts. He threw 100 pitches for the first time since October of 2019. We had a pitcher's duel out in Oakland where Frankie Montas threw seven shutout innings with six strikeouts. Corey Kluber on the other side. He's now allowed just five base runners over his last two starts. In this specific start, six shutout innings, seven strikeouts to just one walk. And then Lucas Giolito, he allowed a few home runs, but uh, posted his first double-digit strikeout game of the season at the Cubs. Chris, anything you'd like to add on Giolito, Kluber, Montas, Verlander, McGill, Wainwright? Uh, I don't think there's much there with Kluber. And, you know, he's 80% rostered. He's got two starts next week. I I think if someone was buying, I would be trying to sell. I can't imagine there's going to be too many. But velocity's down. Swing strike rates aren't super impressive overall. I I just, I, I don't see it. With Corey Kluber, I don't think there's some kind of bounce back happening. So we've probably seen the best of him that we will so far this season. And and I wouldn't necessarily view him as a must roster player. Um, Montas, he's looked good. Giolito, it's been a weird start to the season, but I haven't seen anything too alarming from him. Tons of whiffs, tons of strikeouts. Tyler McGill, uh, the velocity hasn't quite been as high over the past handful of starts, but results are still very good. I don't know if you saw in this one, but he had maybe the worst strikeout of the season against Marcelo Zuna. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was three called strikes that were all at least two inches off the strike zone. And I'm, I'm not a person who complains about bad umpiring all that often, but those were, that was, that was real bad. <laughs> so, you know, probably, probably should have had more like eight strikeouts, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, he's looked good. You know, I, I, I think the, the dreams of him making like an ace leap, like we thought might happen in the first couple of starts. I, I don't know if that's going to happen with the velocity more like 95 average, but still overall very good. And and like you, I've moved him. I'm not sure if he's quite in the top 40 at starting pitcher, but he's very close. Let's see. I moved him up to f- exactly 40 myself and it's 50 for me. Yeah. You- but I could, I could probably stand to move him up a couple more spots. Yeah. Yeah, I'll move up to 48. Yeah, no, the strikeout-to-walk ratio has been awesome for McGill. 35 strikeouts to eight walks. Uh, all the underlying numbers like Tyler McGill as well. So it's he is not one of those sell-high situations. I, I think he might just be legitimately good. And I talk about this a lot. Anytime a pitcher joins a pitching staff, or he was already on the Mets, obviously, but surrounded by other really great pitchers, Scherzer, Chris Bassett, obviously Jacob deGrom, it can only help. I, I I am a firm believer in that. So, you know, I might just be buying in on the narratives here, but I think Tyler McGill is just legitimately good. Some hitter standouts. Jazz Chisholm went two for 
three with a walk and his fifth stolen base. Manny Machado added his fifth home run and fifth steal across the doubleheader. Uh, Nolan Arenado went two for five with his seventh home run, five RBI. Chris, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> my guy, Francisco Lindor, is he is battling it right now. He's 0 for 14 over his last four games. J.P. Crawford went two for four. He now has multiple hits in four of his last six games. He's batting 364. A. Eugenio Suarez went one for three with a 441-foot home run off of Justin Verlander. He was hitless in five games before this. He's kind of slowing down right now. Alex Bregman went three for three with a double, three RBI. Batting average is down. He's uh, he's really kind of uh, selling out for power. Lots of fly balls. Pull rate is even higher than ever before. So I think Bregman's selling out a little bit there. Marcus Semien, back-to-back multi-hit games. Carlos Correa hit his second home run. Cedric Mullins went two for five with his third homer. He's got eight hits over his last five games. Xander Bogarts went two for five with his second homer. Taylor Ward came off the bench, hit the go-ahead home run in extra innings for the Angels. That is his sixth home run. Anthony Rendon went two for five with his third homer. And Jared Walsh went three for five with his third homer. Call to the bullpen. Oh, man, there's a lot going on here. Let's just talk about what matters most, the Marlins. Anthony Bender entered this one with a one-run lead. He gave up two hits and two runs. He takes his second blown save, third loss. Chris, I think there's a real chance that once Dylan Floro is back from his rehab assignment, he will be the closer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been weird because I I feel like Bender hasn't been that good, and the Marlins have gone back to him consistently, so that's a good sign for him, but... Yeah, well, we'll see what it looks like when Flora's back, but I would say he, at the very least, Bender doesn't have a particularly long leash. For the Pirates, Chris Stratton entered in the seventh inning up 4-2. to two. David Bednar then pitched the final two innings for his third save of the season. Jordan Romano loaded the bases but worked out of it for his league-leading 12th save, 12 saves on May 5th. That is just <laughs> awesome. Liam Hendricks now has three saves in three days. So he's up to yes, the back's feeling good. Seven saves there. Yeah, he's looked fantastic recently. Oh, the Red Sox. More fun for the Red Sox. Hansel Robles, he started the ninth inning in a one-run game. He sh- had a strikeout, a walk, a walk, a flyout. Then there's two outs. They pull him for Jake Diekman, who faces Jared Walsh, gives up a game-tying single. They go into extras, and then Matt Barnes and Sawamora proceed to get clobbered in the 10th inning of this game. It is... It is a real struggle for the Red Sox bullpen, and I would say right now none of the nobody there is is a must roster player. All right, to stream or not to stream, we'll start with Thursday. Rich Hill versus the Angels again. That's going to be a tandem start with Tanner Houck, Adrian Hauser versus the Reds, Taiwan Walker at the Phillies, Nick Martinez versus the Marlins, and Chris Archer at the Orioles. Not to stream. That's Preferably, fair. but if I have to pick one, Adrian Hauser against the Reds would be the guy. Uh, yeah, Nick Martinez is probably second. I don't know yeah. any any of these. Honestly, Friday is not great either. Uh, Carlos Hernandez at the Orioles, Jordan Lyles versus the Royals, and Jordan Hicks at the Giants. We've got a lot of TBDs yeah. this time of year, unfortunately. Yeah, TBD has been set up for a lot of starts this season. Um, <laughs> Jordan Hicks is the the most interesting of this group, but you can't start him yet. He hasn't shown the ability to like pitch deep into games or pitch super effectively, but you know, I definitely want to watch him. Um, this one's just see how 
This one popped up, Chris. Tyler Anderson at the Cubs. I think that's okay. Yeah, that's that might be fine. I, I think I like him more than any of the other ones. Anybody else? Cole Irvin was originally supposed to start against the Twins. Yep. I don't think that's going to happen. Wow. What a fun game this one is. Shane McClanahan against Logan Gilbert Friday night, 940 Eastern time. That's that's That'll be worth watching. Oof, that sounds like a date. All right, let's watch that. We're going to wrap there. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.